Welcome to the VIP Ignite podcast, your source for tomorrow's talent today. Hear real-life stories of models, actors, and musicians breaking down barriers, launching careers, and sharing their stories of overcoming obstacles and finding real success. They will activate the winner in you by revealing the path with their best tips and advice. I'm Alicia Kayback, and we are in Coffee with the Green Room with Mitchell Russo. Hi, Mitch. How are you? I'm doing great, Alicia. How are you? Good. Thank you. So I'm excited to see you here on Zoom. I know we just met each other live and in person, which seems so surreal. Almost two weeks ago in Miami with a lot of the other BA members, Michael Calhoun and Joel Yi, who I just spoke to. But today... You know, you have such an interesting story, and I'll never forget when you came up and spoke at our event, when I looked up after hearing what you were talking about, I was like, wait, is that Mitchell talking? Wait, what? Your story is so unique as to why you're in the position that you're in, and you work with some of the biggest names, but one thing I learned about you, you're not a magical unicorn. You built this destiny, and um, you put in a lot of hard work, but I kind of want to read your bio because it's very impressive, and I hope I don't embarrass you because you can hear my voice inflection. I get very excited when I say some of these names out loud. Uh, Mitchell Russo began his journey in the software business in 1985 as the founder of Time Slips Corp, which he later sold to Sage. Um, Within a short span of 18 months, he established a vast network of over 350 certified consultants. And I know you're currently working on that. And I can't wait to talk to you about that because that totally interests me. Um, After selling Time Slips, he served as the COO of Sage. Is it Place? Is that PLC? PLC is the term in English. It simply means corporation. Corporation. Okay, see, um, you're already coaching me. This is awesome. In the U.S., um, managing over 300 employees while advising multiple as a CEO, um, he tackled diverse challenges in areas ranging from sales to HR. Notably, he formed a, a tripartite uh, relationship with a personal growth giant such as Tony Robbins. Again, Tony Robbins. You can hear mm. it in my voice. Love him. And mm. Chet Holmes. Um, not saying we don't love Chet, but Tony Robbins. Uh, starting as a part-time recruit for Chet Holmes, Russo rapidly ascended the ranks, initially tasked with recruiting salespeople, which I've done that before. Not easy. He successfully built and expanded the recruitment division, tripling the sales force and generating over $1 million for the company in just a year. With a keen understanding of client relationships, he pioneered a client service division that Boosted repeat sales by an astonishing 700%. I can't even fathom that as a business owner. Furthermore, he played an instrumental role in elevating the company's revenue from 3 million to over 25 million. And again, like you could hear it in my voice. Those people can definitely add cheese to their burgers on that one. That 25 million from 3 million. Oh my goodness. In merely four years. Talk about rapid growth through strategic radio marketing initiatives and leveraging a 300-member virtual team. Remarkably, he operated this 25 million business from a converted home office, which do you still work from home or do you go into? No, you do like, too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any going back. I mean, call me crazy. By the end of 2013, Russo authored his first Amazon number one bestseller, The Invisible Organization, uh, providing a comprehensive guide to transitioning traditional businesses into virtual powerhouses. His follow-up book, Power Tribes, delves into the potential of community-driven sales channels, drawing from his experience at Time Slips Corp, apart from these achievements. Now, Russo has been part of various groundbreaking ventures, including a collaboration with Kevin Harrington uh, from Shark Tank, 
and continues to produce valuable content courses and programs for his clientele. Okay, now I met you. You're a pretty cool guy. How how do you do this? I mean, take me through your beginnings. Were your parents in this industry? I mean, how do you even know how to do this? Did you go to school for this? No, I didn't know how to do any of this. And I think if uh, if I I remember uh, starting my first business with the next door neighbor, and um, I just asked the question, "Hey, would you like to start a company with me?" And he said yes. I had never started a company before other than mowing, mowing lawns or having a small rock band in high school. And I had never really been in business before. I've never had employees before, but here's what I did know. I knew that I was capable of learning quickly. I figured that if I make lots of mistakes, I'll learn a lot. And that's what I kept doing. I just had the attitude that I'll get through this. I'll figure it out. I have a great partner. He's going to take care of the technology. I'm going to run the business and build the sales teams and grow yeah. it. And, and really, that's all you can do. You could just go forward. Uh, if I tried to think about the limitations of, oh, I've, no one taught me how to do this. I didn't go to school for this. I probably never would have started a business. And I think that's what freezes a lot of people in their tracks. Yeah. Right. So why stop? Just keep going and pushing through and learn as you go. Frankly, you'll get much better, a much better education that way than go to school anyway. Yeah. And what I love is that you made all the mistakes. So you know what you did right and wrong. So for a company like ours, who's constantly growing, we can ask you questions because you've already been there and you've already solved some of the things that you were ailing from. You know, the obstacle is the way. I mean, now one thing that when you and I spoke um, in, I think it was Florida, you were talking about why you left the whole software company. And you said, and I quote, you were only doing 5% 5% of the job of like what you actually loved. So the other 95% you didn't love because you were doing well in the software business, right? I, I did. And the problem was, is that, you know, I started just my partner and I, we ended up with over a hundred employees. And uh, what started to happen is that, you know, you're, you're taught by the, by your mentors to delegate. You can never get anywhere without delegating. Right. Well, unfortunately, I delegated the stuff I loved. So I ended up with all the crap work that was left over, all the admin, all the HR, all the legal not fun stuff. Well, I hated that stuff. So for me, you know, by the time I sold the company, I was really looking to roll up my sleeves and get busy again. That was really what I wanted. And, you know, I, I think that's important that for anybody here listening to this, yeah, yes, it's important to do what you love, but also yeah. someone has to do the brunt work. Yes. And um, as far as delegation, I mean, you work with some of the biggest names and I can't even imagine working with Kevin or Tony. How did those relationships transpire? I mean, you went from software to coaching. And I, I know that you worked with that. You created a certified consultant, which is so intriguing to me because um, those are raving fans. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? Sure. So what happened was, is that I, as you know, I, I built the software company and then finally yeah. sold it. And then what started to happen is people who were also building software companies came to me and say, Mitch, how did you do that? Can you now you're an expert. Out? Yeah. Right. Because now, like you said, now I'm an expert. But here yeah. I was, I, I was a guy who dropped out of college. I had no education. I had um, no real experience before building and running and scaling my own company. Um, in any of that area, including finance or venture capital or any of those things. But by the time I sold that company, I was kind of an expert in all those areas. 
uh, unintentional expert. I just had to become one in order to grow. So people came to me and said, hey, look, here's where we're at. What do you think? What should we do? And really, that's how I became a coach. I became a coach because I love helping other people. And eventually, I figured I might as well charge for some of this great advice that I'm providing. And uh, that parlayed itself into programs and original uh, intellectual property and the three books that I've written and everything else. That's so fun. I, you know, one thing that is so difficult sometimes for people to understand, as you know, and you came to the event, we work with high level industry experts in show business. So a lot of times people want to become actors or models or musicians, and they don't, even if they had the proper marketing materials, they never get that face-to-face with actual high-level people that can snap their fingers and change their life. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times over the last two decades, as you know, joining professional organizations can be very expensive to learn some of the tricks of the trade and ways to kind of cut corners. Um, people always ask me, hey, can I pick your brain? And to me, I know how much we spend, I, you know, quarter of a million dollars a year just on professional relationships. Mm-hmm. Picking my brain, do you get a lot of that? Where you put in so much time, so much money, just blood, sweat, and tears, picking your brain sometimes. And this is probably why you led into coaching, because so many people probably wanted to pick your brain because you had done extraordinary things and you're living and you know, breathing. And and I, I hate to sound like long-winded on this, but probably growing up, like you said, you didn't go to college. Did you have any friends or family members that kind of assisted you or did you just fall on your face numerous times and just got back up and like figured out what worked and what didn't? And then I'm sure you became an inspiration to a lot of people, which is why, you know, it's an amazing thing that they were asking for help, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, I, I think we all, every human being, particularly those of us who are in the pursuit of greatness, and we all are in pursuit of greatness. Yeah. I mean, Maybe you don't like those words, but that's what we're doing. Every day we wake You're up. You're on a path somewhere. Right. We're, we're basically yeah. looking to advance ourselves in one way or another. And we have innate abilities that many cases we don't know about. And this is the interesting thing about human beings. We get to see in others what we cannot see in ourselves. And others saw in me things I did not see in myself. That inspired them to want to help me. Right. The same way that I am inspired to want to help others and you are as well. Yeah. So, so this whole cycle of, you know, it's the, did you ever hear this, the joke about the 10 foot chopsticks? It, it's no. a very, it's a very cute joke and it's relevant. So um, a guy goes to, uh, to, he's about to die. So he says to his, his uh, pastor, he says, um, <clears throat> look, I, I know I'm going to soon be um, going, going to heaven or going to hell. I'm going to be dying. Um, what should I expect? And he says, oh, when you get to heaven, there's going to be an amazing banquet. There's going to be foods of every form and nothing will ever make you fat. You'll immediately be 50, 40 sounds years magical. younger. Yeah, right. Yeah. It sounds wonderful. Uh, but you have to just beware. You have to learn how to eat. And he goes, oh, OK, uh, sure. Um, uh, and so, of course, he dies and he gets up to heaven And he, just as predicted, he shows up and there's this beautiful banquet, but he's looking around and almost everybody is starving and he didn't understand what was going on until people are sort of fighting and trying to eat with, you know, because there's no utensils. There's only these 10 foot chopsticks that are in the corners and who's going to be able to use 10 foot chopsticks, but that's the only way. So these people are starving. So he finally walks to the end of the table and um, a man walks over to him and says, are you hungry? And he said, yes. He goes, 
well, how about I take these 10 foot chopsticks and I feed you and then you feed me. And he said, well, that would be a great idea. And that's what they did. And then they taught everybody in the room to use how the 10 foot chopsticks to feed each other. So, so the, the whole idea and the point I think of the story is that we all have available to us 10 foot chopsticks, but we first have to feed others before we could eat ourselves. And when it comes to helping others, I love helping others. And I know you do too. Yeah. And, and I, when someone says to me, can I pick your brain? If I could give them in two or three or five minutes, a tip that will advance them one step ahead in this world. Uh, you know, I mean, unless I'm being mobbed by people and it's taking over my life, I'm happy to do it. Like because, an aha moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I could create that moment for somebody and don't forget, um, like the 10 foot chopsticks, I had mentors too. I had people who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and stood up and said, Mitch, I can help you with that. Or, I mean, back then when I was starting Timeslips Corporation, I had to hire the equivalent of coaches that I couldn't afford. I mean, I couldn't even afford to not afford them. That's how, that's how cheap I was and how little money we had at that beginning stage of the company. But I knew did you that, call it a poverty mindset or did you just think you just couldn't do it? No, I felt a lot of resistance about spending a big, big chunk of my savings and potentially going into debt. With to, no guarantee. With yeah. no guarantee to basically get advice from another person. And, and a lot of people don't understand the value of that, especially when that person has done what it is that you set out to do. Right. You can't afford not to do that. Yeah, right. for sure. So if you're ever at a stage where you're looking for a coach or you feel like a coach could help you, number one, um, coaches can be very persuasive about hiring them. But what really what you're looking for, and you said it before, it's very important. How many times have they accomplished what you're trying to accomplish? And once okay. is not enough. Uh, you want them to have done it a lot. And if they, they're, they've done it over and over and over again, and they really know what they're doing and they tell you, look, if you want to work with me, I can get you to where you want to go, but it's going to cost you this numbers of thousands of dollars to, to do that. Find a way. Why? Because you'll get to where you want to go with the right help. And that, that's really what it comes down to with coaching. And that's why I wrote the books that I wrote. That's why I engage with the people that I do, because I love seeing people advance. I love, I really thrive off of watching people and helping people go to the next level. That's so, you have such a good heart. And you know, when I met you live and in person in Miami, and again, you're part of the BA, which is an amazing network. There's a saying, your network is your net worth, which I know gets so played out, but it's true. Yes. You truly are the sum of the top five people that you hang out with. So for us, you know, getting to meet you, you know, getting into that proximity, I think it's amazing because kind of like you just insinuated, you cut a check for speed. You want mm -hmm. to work with people that have been where it is that you want to go, that know the formula. But even a coach, you still have to put in the work with a coach. Oh. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. We, we're we only as good as the training, but you have to implement. And I, I can't express that enough. Exactly. Um, so you are currently in South Florida. You're still working from home, yes. essentially. Now, you know, the last two years have been insane. Were you surprised that a lot of people just didn't go back to the office? Or do you kind of like working from home? Because I know that... Again, you, you did a lot of stuff virtually over the years. Do you see a need to go back or do you think people really can stay productive from home? It really depends on the position. I mean, my first book, The Invisible Organization, yeah. 
was a book about how to transition a company from brick and mortar to fully virtual. But there are companies that you can't do that with. I mean, you can't do that with a dentist. You can't do that with a restaurant. (laughs) You can't do that with a meat cutting, uh, you know, a a meat trimmer or somebody. You got to have physical presence. So when you talk about going back, I assume that you really mean going back to an office. Yeah. And and the value of an office is it's there. I mean, you get to collaborate with people in ways it's hard to do unless it's very carefully organized with electronic tools. Uh, like Slack or Zoom or other things like that. So I think there's value to being in a community-like setting. Um, but I also think that depending on the position, it's really not that important anymore. And that's what we're finding now. That's why these huge office buildings all over the big cities are now starting to go vacant. Because look, if you're in the programming or technical space or the creative space like like advertising, you could do just as good work from your from your own home and probably work harder and longer without the commute. And exactly, exactly. That was one of the things that baffled me because Mike and I used to have three offices in New York city. And I would think about all the, we works over there and all the Mm. office space, what are they doing with all of it? And, you know, for me, I'm a first time mom. My little boy just turned three over the weekend. And I love the fact that I can work from home, but I always remind people you get rewarded in public for kicking butt in private. And a lot of people don't have the willpower. They know they want to do extraordinary things, but they don't have it in them when no one's watching to make sure that you're checking your emails. I check my emails and I'm sure you do too. Midnight, 2 a.m. I'm waking up in the middle of the night to get, you know, the baby some milk. 4 a.m. I'm checking emails because when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Do you feel as though now being that you're happy and you're working from home and you love seeing people succeed, do you ever feel like work is a lifestyle for you? Because I do. I feel like it's just, it's who I am as a person. Do you well, consider this work or? Well, I mean, look, I love what I do. I, that's, pre- hopefully that's obvious. I, I, yeah. I really do, but it's not what I would call my, my true passion. Okay. So I think that for me and maybe for many people, my true passion is a different form of creativity. This is creative. Okay. Yeah. My business coaching is creative. The work I do with my clients is creative, but my real creativity is my photography. Oh, and, okay. And so for me, if I can go out photograph in the most beautiful parts of the world, I'm, I'm there. In fact, um, uh, this is a new development, but uh, I might actually be working as a tour guide for a photography company. So wow. I mean, this really what I love the most. And I love to create art and I love to write. So if I could be um, writing and creating photography and uh, still earning a great living doing what I'm doing, then I'm a pretty you happy can do guy. from anywhere now. I exactly. mean, that's the coolest thing. National yeah. Geographic. Yep. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so my passion is really around the creative arts. And I think a lot of people listening to this probably say the same thing. And, and it's not a bad thing. You know, you can't say, well, look, I, I, I could be a musician, a makeup artist or an actor on the side. And, and well, you know, I can help you with that. When you're yeah, ready, I, you can tell me. I'll be I, I will. I, I okay. absolutely will. Uh, but I'm not going to, you know, get any joy from, you know, manual labor or working in an yeah. office because that's what I got to do to survive right now. Uh, but right. having a dream. Know. Yeah. Right. And you got to have a dream. I think it's important that you do. And I think that's where most of us are at. Yeah. And that's so interesting. Okay. So I do want to hear how this collaboration with Kevin Harrington take, took place. I mean, he he's a shark from Shark Tank. How did that even happen? How did that transpire? 
Well, you know, you said before um, proximity. Uh, so I was at a mastermind and um, Kevin was a speaker at the mastermind. And I approached him after the mastermind. You know, a lot of people, oh, you can't really yeah. talk to the speakers. And, you know, he's a normal guy. And he, you know, somebody that I admired. So I walked over and said, hey, you know, I really love what you've done. It's incredible. Love to get a chance to chat with you. And he did the most amazing thing I'd ever thought would happen. He said, here's my cell. Give me a call anytime. I said, what? Okay. <laughs> and I did. And I called him up and we got together and we had dinner together and uh, we start to build a friendship. And then some years later, um, I was asked by a third party company to create a new business coaching division for this other company. And I said, I would. And I said, um, I think we should probably have a spokesperson if we're going to go out to the public. And he said, who do you recommend? And I said, well, I like Kevin Harrington as a spokesperson and I I've worked with him. Nice face brand. Yeah. Right. Everybody knows him. And they said, yeah, they said, that's a great idea. Let's let's. So we did. And we got Kevin involved and then Kevin, myself and a small team, we built a whole new business coaching division for this third party company. And that's how I got to really know him. That's awesome. And I believe everybody comes into your life for a reason. And I love the fact that you didn't just, you know, force feed Kevin Harrington. Oh, you got to help me, which I get a lot of, you know, people constantly on my Facebook and my Instagram. I want to be famous. Can you help me? Well, I could. Are you part of my program? Let's right. go through it. But what I love most is you built the friendship first. Yeah. And, you know, you're always serving. And I think that's so important. You know, even when you're trying to do anything, even though it would be great for Kevin to, you know, have paired up with you at that exact moment when you first met him. But I think everything happened in due time. And if anything, you were able to build up a real relationship with him. And I that's think that's, that's that's priceless. I mean, for those of you listening to this, um, it's not always what's in it for you. You want to go out there and serve others. And I promise you, you may not see the bigger picture, but you want to you want to befriend people. You want to you want to be an asset. You want to you want to bring something to the table. Mike and I have been to a lot of dinner parties in Hollywood over the years, and we always laugh when you can always tell somebody's character, right? When they show up to a dinner party empty handed and they're so worried about what time they eat. Then there's other people that come to the <laughs> dinner party with, you know, flowers or, you know, just some a baked good, just something sure. to show that you cared. And you're like, I didn't know if you needed this, but I brought this anyways. Sure. Those are the people that you want to keep in your circle always. Okay. And I appreciate that um, so much from you, because when I met you, you're like, yeah, I'd love to do a podcast. And we're like, great, that would be awesome. And you didn't have to do it. And I, I love the fact that you're on here today. And um, you're, so now you have three books. Yes. On Amazon. And so the first one is the invisible organization. Uh, The second one, um, you talk about independent tribes of certified consultants. Can you go over that a little bit? Yeah. So this came from my experience back in the 1990s building Time Slips Corporation. Um, We were a very successful company and we were growing pretty rapidly. Uh, But the problem that we had was that we had so many customers who were looking or help that we couldn't serve them. Uh, We just didn't have enough people. So by accident, I enrolled a a customer to help me help other customers. And that idea came from that experience to create people who are certified in helping others with our particular product. Well, that grew into the Time Slips Certified Consultant Program. And we then monetized that program and created uh, recurring revenue from that program 
And in a matter of 18 months, we went from zero to 350 certified consultants. And the coolest thing of all is it doubled the value of the company uh, immediately. As soon as we hit that number 18 months later, we were now worth twice as much as we were 18 months prior. Uh, that came in real handy uh, when we finally put together a deal with Sage. Sage would never have paid us what they did before we had the certified consultant program. So I knew it was the right thing to do. And on top of that, there were benefits that I'd never had realized. One of them is I ended up with 350 new family members. I was friends with everybody in that program. These and- were your raving fans. These These are people that understood your product backwards and forwards because they were living it. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I learned a lot of lessons on, on how to build community and how to treat members of the community and what mistakes you could easily make just by being a nice person and not realizing what you're doing. So part of everything I learned, I tried to encapsulate in, in the book that you see on the screen here, Power Tribes, and also in the programs that I run when I build certification programs for other companies now, because one simple mistake can destroy an organization. I'm, I'm yeah. sure you've seen it. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's so difficult. It's so easy to make the mistake and so difficult to fix it. Why not just don't make it to begin with? And that will save you a lot of time. So I poured my experience into the book. Expensive lesson to learn. I mean, and I'm glad you took, because there's so many things. If I can go back and do it again, as much as sometimes I I resent people that I've hired or a product that we launched at the same time, it's a learning lesson. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Even though, you know, I have a little bit of a twitch now thinking about it, but, (laughs) and now you can help others so that they don't make the same mistake. I think that's so important. Yep. Agreed. Um, and so you're also doing podcasts. I, I saw that your podcast was C-Suite, mm-hmm. Top 200, correct? Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Yep. Yeah, and the podcasting has been great. See, we built the podcast from a very, very purposefully from the very beginning to attract others who would potentially benefit for certification. So the name of the show is Your First Thousand Clients. And I'm looking for people who have a thousand clients or more who are in parallel businesses to the ones that I serve. So I'm looking for typically for companies that have strong intellectual property, a strong user base, because these are the people that really could utilize certification. And so my purpose in building the show was not because I just love chatting with people and have nothing better to do. I use it as a tool to connect me with some of the top people in my industry that I can then have a really meaningful, deep conversation with. And to me, if you're going to do a podcast, that's why you want to do it. And I think that's important for anybody listening to this. Yes, it's great to have listeners, but it's also great to have people in alignment because now users or listeners that you didn't even know, maybe that other company had are now listening to your message. Exactly. (gasps) Yeah. Amazing. 